I want to talk to you a little bit about prayer this morning. Um, you know, I, w- I want to make the case to you this morning that, that Christian prayer is unique, but before, before I get into that idea, I actually want to talk about kind of these misconceptions about prayer that I have grown up with. So, uh, so I got this idea as a kid, and I, I don't think I would have said it like this. I was given these words for how I thought of prayer later on, but, um, but I got this idea as a kid that God was kind of like a genie. And so maybe you've heard uh, about this concept of God, like when we pray to God, we kind of treat him like a genie, right? We have a list of things that we kind of think God should do for us or that we kind of think we would like God to do for us. And so we uh, go with our list of things to God and we say, God, here are things that you can do for me. Here, would you do these things for me, God? These are what I want. And so, so I got this idea that God was a genie. So um, and to add to that, there was like this whole idea of Santa Claus when I was a kid too. And for some reason, like Santa Claus is like this omnipresent person who always knows like what you're doing and what you're like going through, right? And so he's like, Santa Claus is God, right? Like that's what, that's the idea that you get in your head because he has all the characteristics of God. He's everywhere all at the same time and he can see permanently and all of this stuff, right? So, uh, so Santa Claus, um, I, I watched the, the show Miracle on 34th Street when I was a kid and uh, the, the girl in the show, she wants uh, a baby sibling, right? Like, that's what she wants. And so she asks Santa Claus to give a baby sibling. And like, lo and behold, you get to the end of the movie and like, that's what happens. And so, so <laughs> uh, like, see, Santa, Santa is God, right? He's like the genie who's providing everything. So, uh, so I was like, you know, I approached God. I was like, now, my mom had me late. Like, I have to cl- clarify some things here, but I thought, I was going to ask God for a sibling, and I was going to get a sibling, because my brother was 14 years older than I, I was, and so I was functionally an only child, and I was like, oh, I would love to have, like, somebody else in the house, and so I started asking for that. Like, this is adding to this idea that, like, God is my genie, and he's going to give me th- these things that I really, really want, and these things might even be good things. Like, these things that I want might even be good things, and so I'm just going to approach God and say, hey, God, this is a really good thing that I want. And so, so we get misconceptions about prayer. And so add to that, like there are other ideas out there about prayer. There's the idea that like, like you just generally want God to favor you. And that's an idea that we get from scripture. Yeah, it's a good thing for God to favor you. And so somebody will say, hey, pray for me. And when they ask, hey, pray for me, what they're really saying is, hey, like, I just want God's general favor over me, but pray for me. Uh, Maybe uh, some other ideas you get about prayer, especially as you get into new age kind of stuff, is that the idea is we can kind of direct the spirits, we can direct the energies, right? Uh, How many of you have heard somebody say, I'm sending good vibes, I'm sending, what does that mean? (laughs) <laughs> like, uh, you know, like, what, like, what are, what is that going, how is that going to affect my reality around me, right? But, but that's something that we say, right? So we, we kind of direct energies in the world and, and that kind of stuff. The other ideas about prayer, like, prayer is something you do really kind of when you're desperate. Like, prayer is an act of desperation, right? Like, when you have something going wrong, that's kind of when you go to prayer. That's what it's for. Other ideas is, like, people think of prayer as just kind of like meditation, so like, you just have to kind of get yourself centered. Prayer is like the activity you do to get yourself centered and to like kind of block out the world and uh, just make your, put yourself in a good emotional, mental space, right? That's how some people think about prayer. 
And then like actually like legitimately some people think of prayer as acknowledgement and honor. So you think of like uh, just like the religion Islam, like when they pray, this is their act of acknowledgement and honor of Allah. That's what they do. And, and so all of those ideas, to some degree or another, like those can be contained in prayer, but all of them by themselves fail to tell the whole story of what prayer is. Like each of them, and we kind of highlight each of them as like the way that we think of prayer, but, but any of them by themselves will not tell the whole story of prayer. And so, so though some of these may be involved in prayer, all of these actually kind of miss the core of what Christian prayer is. So what is Christian prayer? Because it is especially unique. As our world thinks about prayer, Christian prayer is especially unique from any other kind of prayer. So what is Christian prayer? Christian prayer is intimate communication with our dad, the creator. Christian prayer is intimate communication with our dad, the creator. So, so there are really two key elements to Christian prayer. And uh, the first element is this. Uh, it is time with your dad expressing your heart to him. So we get this idea like Jesus makes it possible for us somehow to be welcomed in to the presence of the Father like just as I am, right? You remember the song from the, the 80s, the 90s, like just as I am, like God brings us just as we are into the presence. Jesus brings us into the presence of the Father and we can be welcomed and we can be like honest about who we are. We don't have to hide from him in shame because Jesus' blood has covered us. He has made it possible for us to boldly approach his throne. And so we can just say like, hey God, here's your child. Here's my broken desires. Here are my needs. Here are my anger issues. Here's my anxiety. Here's the good things that I long to see take place. Like here's everything that I am and I'm expressing my heart to you. And, and you can do this, and you don't have to fear like lightning striking you because you're told that your father loves you. Your father welcomes you. You can be fully known. Fully, like, it's scary to be fully known, to let somebody know your, your inmost motivations, your desires, what's wrong with your heart. But with your father, you can be fully known and you can be safe. You don't have to question his approval of you because Jesus has covered you, and therefore, you can continue to be known and safe and express your heart to him without shame, without fear of retribution. You can be truly honest and open with him. So this is, like, this is one aspect of Christian prayer that is especially unique, but then there's another element of Christian prayer, and it is this. It's time listening to his heart. You actually spend time listening to your father's heart. As you express your heart, then you spend time with your father and your father instructs you. Your father helps you understand who he is. And so like even, uh, even when the disciples, they went to Jesus and they look at the way that Jesus prays and interacts with God and so they just ask, Jesus, teach us to pray. Help us understand. And, and the first thing that Jesus says when, when he, uh, he's like, pray like this, our father, which it, we take the word father and it's this very like formal word for dad. What he actually said was Abba, which is the Aramaic word for daddy. 
He has this like very intimate, he's not like far off. God is not some far off sort of transcendent being, although he is that, but he has now welcomed us. So Jesus says, you can say now, daddy, my dad. So there's this intimate connection. And then he prays through some words, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come. And then what's the very next words? Thy will be done. Right, so as we think about prayer, Jesus is directing our, our minds to the fact that one of the things that we're concerned with is God's heart, what he wants, what his will is. And so as we spend time with him, we get to understand him. We read his word. We marvel at his works and we hear his heart. And so we grow to love him more and more. We understand his heart more and more, and, and we, we prayerfully enter into to reading scripture and understanding who he is. And so as we come to God and say, okay, God, here's your child, God, like, he spends time with us, and he says, okay, child, here's who I am. Here are the things that I care about. And so these two things, they actually, like, reinforce each other. It's like a, a cycle. You kind of keep working through this thing, where, where uh, you come to God, and, and you share your heart, and God, like, shows you what he wants, and then that kind of shapes you a little bit. So it brings your heart, it actually, as you go through this process over time, it brings your heart more into alignment with the things that God wants. So, um, so as a dad of a young girl, I'm a dad of a young girl, one of the things that I hope is I hope that my daughter will feel free to express her heart to me. It's one of the things that I genuinely wish for her. And you know what I plan to do? I plan to share my heart with her as she grows up. And you know, like, what my prayer is is that this intimate connection that we might have, that it might reinforce, that it might actually shape her, that I'll, that I'll have the ability to kind of form her heart in some way, right? And this is what happens with God, except it's more powerful when God's in the picture because as he shapes us, we understand his perfect will more and more and more. And as we understand his will like uh, he says, anything you ask according to my will, it will be done. We understand his will, and what that tells us is the more we understand, the more we ask for those things, the more effective our prayers actually become. So prayer, birthed out of intimacy with God, is effective prayer. And this is what makes Christian prayer very unique. Because of this intimacy, Christian prayer is especially unique. It is a privilege that we have. Okay, so last week, Pastor Don, our associate pastor here at the church, he, he started us off on this series called Connect With. And, uh, and in this series, what we're doing is we're exploring what it looks like for us as individuals to go out to our neighbors and to start working to connect Jesus to our neighbors, to connect Jesus with our neighbors. We're going to be here for like eight more weeks, just kind of exploring different facets of this. And so, so last week, Pastor Don talked about the idea of inertia. The idea of inertia is that like, if we continue on in, in how we're already going, which is kind of maybe not connecting with our neighbors or maybe connecting with them, but not doing so in a way that would actually show them Jesus, then, then we need to change something because if we don't change something, then we will continue to remain in the same pattern. That's what he shared with us. And so, uh, so the, the image for this series is actually a triangle puzzle. So, so um there are different aspects. This is not just about you connecting with your neighbors, but in order to connect Jesus to your neighbors, it actually like requires that you would be connected to Jesus. 
You have to connect to Jesus, and then you want to see the Holy Spirit draw your neighbor to Jesus, and then you have to go and connect with your neighbor. Like, all of these things come together. We want to see them all join together. And so this series is actually, the intention is that it would be a really practical series for us on how we can hope to see our neighbors connected to Jesus. So I want to acknowledge a potential confusion, and that confusion is this. I just spent 10 minutes talking about the uniqueness of Christian prayer. And now we're talking about connecting with our neighbors. And you might go, okay, so why'd you spend all that time talking about prayer if you're talking about connecting with our neighbors? And I wanna tell you why. The reason is this. Our intimacy with our Father is directly connected to seeing people drawn to Jesus. Our intimacy with our Father is directly connected to seeing people drawn to Jesus. So, so how is this true? Well, in order to see it, we actually need to spend some time listening to our dad's heart. So this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, uh, you can open, if you have your Bibles with you, we're in 1 Timothy chapter two. 1 Timothy chapter two. And as we open God's word together, we're going to listen to our dad's heart. And so as we prepare for that, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we trust you. We love you. Lord, you've shown us who you are. You've shown us the things that you desire. And you have welcomed us just as we are into your presence. So we're grateful for this. And we ask that you would take this time now to to show us something of your heart. Lord, I ask for each and every person in this room that you would open our ears, that you would soften our hearts to receive the things that you might want to speak this morning. I pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So uh, 1 Timothy 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 7. So those of you who are observant will remember that way back when the pandemic started, uh, and we were in our first online service where I was sitting in my kitchen, we actually did this passage. This passage was kind of to show us what should our response in the middle of crisis be? What is the church's right response to crisis? But, but there's actually, so, so we got to talk about that because the, the church that, that Paul was writing to, the church leader that Paul was writing to, Timothy, they were in the middle of crisis, right? They, they were trying to deal with that. But there's something massive that we didn't get to dig into in this passage. And, and it's what this passage reveals about the outcome of Christian prayer. This passage actually reveals something really unique about the outcome of Christian prayer. So, so I was even studying this week and I felt like I had discovered something in scripture that I had just missed for a long time. I went to like divinity school for four years. I, 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 but like the Lord, as you spend time with him, as you get to know him, like he instructs you more and more about who he is. Like this is just how he works. And, and I saw something that I feel like I've missed for a long time. So, so we're gonna kind of walk through this passage and see what it shows us about prayer. So point number one in your notes, if you're, you're taking notes this morning, your dad is for everyone. Your dad is for everyone. This is what it says in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. 
for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So, so Paul, he opens this up, and then he just starts piling these words on top of each other. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving. It's like he's saying, like, you need to pray, and then you need to pray some more, and then you need to pray some more. Like, his emphasis is focus on prayer. So he's like, pray in every way possible. But okay, so pray for who or pray for what? Uh, pray for that new job that you're seeking. Pray for your home purchasing process. Pray for more money to come into your bank account. Pray for easier work. Does it say any of that? No. No. It says pray for people. And not just like some people, but all of them. All of the people. Pray for all people. Not just like those that you like. Not just family members, not just your annoying co-worker that they might become less annoying, not just people who look like us, not just your favorite political candidate, but you pray for everybody, everybody, all people. And so this shows us something really unique about our dad's heart, and that is this. His heart is for everyone, like at the core of who he is. Our Father desires flourishing of life for everyone. Our Father desires flourishing of life for every single person. So now, uh, don't get confused. Like when we say he is for everyone, we're not saying that like he is for everything everyone wants to do. We're not saying that. We're, we're not saying that he is for everything that everyone wants to be, right? Like that's not what we're saying. We're actually saying that our Creator... Because he is the creator, actually, like, he knows what it means for life to flourish. And if that's the case, like, he wants everybody to partake, to be able to partake in that flourishing of life. So what does that mean? Well, that means that God is for your liberal neighbor. God is for your conservative neighbor. God is for Donald Trump, and God is for Joe Biden. God is for the starving man, and God is for the wealthy businessman. God is for the white supremacist, and God is for the person who riots in the streets. God is for all people. Now, I can imagine that perhaps I named some people that probably make you uncomfortable. I hope I did. The reality is that God is for every single one of them, so pray for them. God is for every single one of them, so pray for them. In the midst of your intimacy, your dad's heart is for the people of this world. Pray for them. Listen to his heart for them. Let your heart be for them in the same way that his heart is for them. Okay, okay, sure. But what do we pray for them? Like, what does it mean that we would be for them? Because it certainly doesn't mean that we approve of all of their ideas or all of their actions. So what does it mean that we would be for them? What do we hope to see our prayers accomplish? So number two in your notes, your dad wants to save everyone. Your dad wants to save everyone. So verse three, it says, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires everyone, all the people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of of the truth. So, so here, Paul, he clues us into our dad's heart a level deeper. What does it mean that God is for our neighbor? It means that God's heart 
is to draw every single person to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. That's what God wants. More than anything else, his heart is to draw every person to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So for Christians, this is what it means to be for somebody else. It means that you know, we might pray for their sickness, we might pray for their struggling family member, we might pray for their financial situation, but in all of those prayers, our dad's heart is to draw those people for whom we are praying to repentance and faith in Jesus, that they might be saved, that they might have the same intimacy with our Father that we have. So practically, what does this mean? So I just want to talk to you, like when, I, when I'm praying for a person, especially a person uh, who may not know Jesus. I'm not actually just praying for their practical needs, especially like if they ask me to pray out loud for them. I, I, I'm going to care about their practical need. I will bring that to the Lord, but you know what I'm actually praying? I'm praying that God, in, in meeting them in the midst of this practical need, would show them something about Jesus. So like if I'm praying out loud for them, I, I'm actually trying to find some way to work elements of the good news into my prayer for that person. It could be something as simple as, you know what, Father? You show your care for people and that you sent your only son to pay for sins and offer eternal life to anyone who believes even though we don't deserve it. So God, we see your care there and Lord, this person, they desire to see your care expressed in this way. So God, would you show up? Now, why do I do that? Because the, the goal, like the outcome, God's desired outcome for our prayers is that the lost would be drawn to Jesus. So like what an amazing love this is because Lord, we're asking for that same love to show up right now in this really practical way for this person. But Lord, this is the love that you show people. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that God's heart is for every single neighbor of ours to be drawn to G- by, by grace, uh, drawn to salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So, here's just a question. Like, do you think about that reality when you see other people? Like, when you encounter somebody in that, and I, I'm not asking you in judgment because I don't know that I do all the time. But, but when you walk into the coffee shop and you see the person behind the counter, do you think, God, that is a person that you desire to draw to your son? Like your heart is to draw that neighbor who can't figure out how to interact with me to your son. Your heart is to draw that person uh, in the fast food restaurant. Your, your, that, uh, your heart is to draw that person who I work with, who we, we talk about uh, the baseball game or the football game often, but we don't ever go deeper. Lord, your heart is to draw every single one of those people to repentance and faith in Jesus. Like this is another way that Christian prayer is unique. And this is, what, this is where my mind was blown because I hadn't actually thought about this up until this point. But as we look at the New Testament and what the New Testament shows us about prayer, it tells us that all Christian prayer is inherently missional. All Christian prayer is inherently missional, which means like the goal of all Christian prayer is it's to see people drawn to faith in Jesus. It has the goal of seeing the lost drawn towards Christ. So, so this gift of intimacy with my dad is special. It's something that I get to enjoy, but this gift of intimacy with my dad, it is not an end in itself. But it pours out to draw other people 
into it. That's the idea that we get here. So, so when Jesus prays, like the very first thing after he says, uh, Abba in heaven, hallowed be your name, your name is holy. The very next thing he says is, your kingdom come. When, when the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray, the, like one of the very first things he asks for is saying, just to say, Lord, your kingdom come. Which what he's saying when he says, your kingdom come, is he's, he's saying, uh, Dad, draw all people everywhere to allegiance to the king. That's what he's saying. That's what his heart is. And so church, your dad desires to save everyone, so pray for them. The third point in your notes, your dad paid a price to make a way. So verse five says this, it says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So, so Paul actually clarifies. He talks about salvation, but then he clarifies something. This is why salvation in Jesus is so important, because there is no other source of salvation in the whole world. It's one. Through one man, there's one mediator between God and man, the, the man, Jesus Christ. There is no other source of hope. You know what, like our world right now is full of people who are running around trying to find ways to save themselves trying to prove themselves through their careers, attempting to raise good families, trying to satisfy themselves with parties, trying to elect the right political person or a, a political position to power, trying to put the right person on the Supreme Court. Like we are trying to run around and find all of these ways. We are in a world where people are running around and trying to find all of these ways to save themselves, to put their hope and something else, but none of that has the ability to cover the debt that we have racked up in our rebellion against God. Only one way, and that was made through the death of the only person who was ever without sin, the sinless Son of God with the Father before creation, eternally pre-existent. This is what he did. He let sinful people nail him to a cross, stand in judgment of him, make a mockery of him so that he might take God's wrath on himself against our sin so that we could be welcomed into joyful relationship with our Father. Jesus made a way for us at great cost to himself and he made that way for others as well. So, so none of us would actually say this out loud, but, but I wonder if some of us sometimes look at our neighbors in judgment and think, you know what, maybe God doesn't want to save that person because they do X, Y, or Z, or they identify with X, Y, or Z. Or, or maybe we don't think, you know, God doesn't want to save that person, but maybe we actually like struggle to believe that God could save that person. You know, Jesus' death for sin on the cross proves that there is no boundary that he is not willing to cross to make it possible for even the most wicked of people to receive eternal life. The price Jesus paid was high enough that even that 
neighbor. I don't know who that neighbor is for you. It might be a coworker. It might be a person across. Like, I don't know. But even that neighbor can be saved. Because they're a sinner just like you were. Just like you are. And if they turn to Jesus, their sin will be paid for. So church, your dad paid a price to make a way. So pray for them. So this is a crazy thing because God gives us this gift of intimacy with him where we get to enjoy him in his presence, where we get to hear his heart. We get to share our heart with him freely without fear of judgment. And, and, and this, this passage today, this lets us know, know one of his key desires. It lets us know his heart. That this gift of intimacy with God that we have been given, that it actually has like a goal in mind. So this is what we need to do. We need to pray that the lost would be found. Pray that the lost would be found. Okay, so what? Number one, I'm gonna ask you a question. And I'm actually gonna ask you to do something. So this is, a, if you don't have a piece of paper, there might be pieces of paper around you. Uh, there might be a pen in front of you. If you don't have either of those things, take out your phone and use the notes app on your phone, but I'm gonna ask you to write something down. This is what I'm gonna ask you to write down. Who are your three? Who are your three? Pray for them daily. Pick three, per, three people that, that you're concerned may not be drawn close to Jesus, that, that may not be with Jesus at this point. Who are your three? Who are the three people that you want to focus? And I just want you to pour yourself into prayer for those three people. I want you to focus on them. I don't know who they are, but pray for them daily. And then in three months, pick three more to add to your list, or, or maybe, like, by the grace of God, he'll actually, like, knock some off, to, off of your list because he's drawn them to himself, right? And so, pick three more. In three months, pick three more. Commit yourselves to praying for specific people in really specific ways to see God draw those people to himself. So, who are your three? Pray for them daily. So, so at the outset of this series, we have this focus on prayer. Like, we're going to get practical on what it means for us to connect with our neighbors, to show them Jesus. But, but now, at the outset, prayer is actually, like, we need to know that prayer is actually the most practical thing we can do. Like, we're going we're gonna to gain a lot of tools. We're going to talk about, like, ways that we can engage people, ways that the culture just has conversations and, and these kinds of things. We're going to talk about all of that, but you need to know at the outset the most practical thing you can do is to seek your Father's power to draw people towards Him. So, uh, so I, I was uh, working on something this week, and I was in a, it was a, a meeting, a Zoom meeting, and so I was with some folks, and, and somebody actually just said, hey, can I share um, something that I've been reading that has been particularly challenging to me? And it was like, it fit perfect for this Sunday. And so, so as we talk about, yeah, all the practical things we can do, first I want, I want to read this, this quote. This comes from a book called Labri. So it's L apostrophe A-B-R-I. Labri by uh, an author named Edith Schaefer. And this is what it says. She writes this. Supposing we had awakened today 
to find everything concerning the Holy Spirit and prayer removed from the Bible. That is not removed the way liberals would remove it, but, but that God had somehow really removed everything about prayer and the Holy Spirit from the Bible. What difference would it make practically between the way we worked yesterday and the way we would work today and tomorrow? What difference would it make in the majority of Christians' practical work and plans? Aren't most plans laid out ahead of time anyway? Isn't much work done by human talent, energy, and clever ideas? Where does the supernatural power of God have a real place? Church, as we move forward in, in, into connecting with our neighbors and into examining that, into connecting Jesus to our neighbors I'll tell you, real super, supernatural power is needed here. So pray for them. Number two. Number two, this is more of a, a practical um, idea to kind of overarch the whole series and even as we move forward as a church. I want to call you to be prepared to share stories. So these might, uh, I don't like need to hear miraculous stories of, hey, I, I shared the gospel with a person for the first time in Starbucks. I've never met them before. And then they came to know Jesus. Like, uh, like I don't need that kind of a story. I, I just want to hear like, my, my neighbor was open to a little bit of a spiritual conversation. And so we talked and we talked about what it means to like, just pray to God together. Like, that's all we talked about. That's all we had time to do. But like, even that story, if, we're, if I hear about people having conversations like that with their lost neighbors, you know how encouraging that is for me? And so if you have stories where you're even having the smallest discussions like that, where, where you're seeing Jesus work in your relationship with a person, uh, we would love to hear those stories. And so maybe you, you're not comfortable like coming up here and sharing those stories with people. Well, at least tell me or tell somebody the story so that we can make sure that story gets shared. Because as we share stories, you know what it does? We hear it like, oh, the Lord is moving in this relationship and in that relationship. The Lord is actually doing something. So, so I want to call you to be prepared to share stories. Okay, so we are going to now transition into a time of communion together. And as we enter into this time just ask the question, like, why would we pray for the lost? Well, we, we would do so because at one time, we were lost. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and then because someone was praying for us, we actually met Jesus. Like, Jesus gave us life by dying our death in our place and made it possible for us to have this intimacy with God that we now have. So in communion, we have the, the bread, which represents Jesus' body broken on the cross for our sakes, and the juice, which represents Jesus' shed blood. And if you're worshiping uh, at home with us, you may have prepared these things already and advance some food and drink to represent Christ's b- body and blood. And, but if you're in person, every seat has one of these cups, or every other seat has one of these cups. Uh, I just kind of want to explain this to you a little bit because it can be a little confusing before we get to the time. So there, there are two layers of lids on here. The first one is a thin film, and you peel it back, and it gives you the wafer, which tastes a little bit by, like styrofoam, so be prepared for that ahead of time. <laughs> the wafer is on top, and then, and then you peel back the second layer to get to the juice. So that's kind of how that works. 
Um, in a moment, we'll sing a song, and then we're going to take the bread and the juice together. But first, what I want to do is I want us to take a moment of silence together to, to kind of reflect. And here's what I want you to reflect on. I have two questions for you as we enter into this time of reflection and silence. The first question is this. What does the cross of Jesus tell you about God's love for you? What does the cross of Jesus tell you about God's love for you? And what does it tell you about his love for your neighbor? Let's be silent together.